Thank you for listening to the Your Mindful Coach podcast, part of the Center for Self-Care Network. This is Mark Balser. Today's episode is the second in a series of mindful habit change classes taking place in fall 2008. You can listen to the full recordings or find recordings with no meditations or the meditation separately by visiting SoundCloud, iTunes, or your favorite podcast provider. If you'd like to learn more, visit www.center4selfcare.com. Thank you. So I thought I'd start tonight with a very brief two-minute practice just to help us arrive in the room. And um, the name of the practice is Moving from Thought to Sensation. Uh, We spend a lot of time up here (laughs) above our necks and um, just giving ourselves an opportunity to make contact with what's happening around us and inside us. So... um, There's nothing special to do for this practice. I'll invite you to close your eyes if you like, or cast your gaze gently down, and I'll guide you through this whole process. You might start by bringing your awareness to your breathing, feeling the rise and fall of your belly with each breath. allowing the breath to flow naturally. And taking a moment, listening for three different sounds in your experience. Noting the quality of those sounds, if they're distant or loud or rhythmic. Allowing them to enter your experience and then leave. And now becoming aware of three sensations in the body. What do you notice as you sit here in your seat? Three sensations in the body. Then allowing your eyes to open if they aren't already. Looking around the room and bringing in three objects throughout the room. Noting their shape and color. Texture. And once again, allowing your eyes to close. Becoming aware of the breath once more. Giving yourself some appreciation for taking this time 
for yourself tonight. And then listening for the bell to open your eyes. So welcome. Uh, this is the second uh, class of the positive habit change, but uh, we have a really nice mix. Uh, it's, I think it's almost like 50-50 of people who are here last time and people who are here for the first time. Uh, and I think that'll be a great opportunity to hear new voices. And each of these is meant to stand alone. So um, you'll be able to pick right up. And so we notice things when we get quiet and we close our eyes, but those things are happening all the time. Uh, and one of the things I really like about mindfulness practice is that um, we use whatever uh, comes our way. So occasionally there'll be loud noises. Um, occasionally uh, we'll get distracted by a really nagging injury, a knee, or a back. Um, and that's all part of our practice. It's all part of our learning um, to be distracted. Um, when we're distracted, when we return our attention back, we're practicing mindfulness. When we're just sitting there and blissing out and our mind is empty, it's not even really mindfulness practice. It's a nice state to, to aspire to, um, but that's not realistic in the world. So I had a poem I wanted to share. I don't think I shared it with you last time, but it, since it's one of my favorite poems, you've heard it if you've ever met me, be, met me before. Um, and it's from a poet named Dana, Dana Falls. It's called Walk Slowly. It only takes a reminder to breathe, a moment to be still, and just like that, something in me settles, softens, makes space for imperfection. The harsh voice of judgment drops to a whisper, and I remember again that life isn't a relay race, that we will all cross the finish line, that waking up to life is what we were born for. As many times as I forget, catch myself charging forward without even knowing where I'm going, that many times I can make the choice to stop, to breathe, and be, and walk slowly into the mystery. So this is a habit change class, and so we're hoping to break some habits that are not serving us, and make some other habits. Um, but uh, introducing the choice into that is really important as well. So while we're trying to build good habits, uh, what we're really trying to do is put the space in between um, all the acts that we do so that we have, have some kind of intention, some uh, discernment in what we do. So I guess I have an ambitious plan tonight. Uh, a little bit more technical than the first class. But what I really hope to do is marry some of the research around habit change and habit building that's pretty accessible to all of us now. You know, on the internet, there's wonderful uh, books and even other courses that we can take. I'm not really a habit expert in that sense. I haven't done all that research. Um, but I love the practice of mindfulness and how it can apply. We talked a little bit about that in our last class, that mindfulness and habit change are very closely related. 
the way I like to define mindfulness is paying curious attention to what's happening right now. Paying curious attention to what's happening right now. So it's not about being a certain way or thinking a certain way. Um, it's about being with our experience. And so as we build out habits, we, we fall short. Um, we do the opposite of what we're planning to do. And so making sure we have a little bit com of compassion for ourselves in that process allows us to pick ourselves back up and get back to it. So there are two questions uh, that mindfulness asks. The first question is, what is happening? Very simple question that we answered with a thousand different responses, right? What is happening? That's the wisdom element of mindfulness. The second part of it is, can I be with it? Now, of course you can be with it, but can I allow this to be the way it is now without pushing it away or this wonderful thing, trying to get more and more and more of it? Um, and so that's kind of the compassion element, that whatever I'm experiencing now, uh, I'll let it be part of my experience knowing that it'll, it'll change. It'll go away or intensify, um, but it's not always going to be the way it is right now. So as we're practicing uh, tonight, think about that model of mindfulness as, as paying curious attention and how we can balance uh, a wisdom, an understanding of what's happening in our experience with the compassion that uh, things might not always be the way that we want them to. So um, I'm hoping we can leave tonight uh, with some of the following. <laughs> uh, one habit that we'd like to make, uh, one habit we'd like to break, uh, a couple of reminders, so I have even physical reminders to send home with you tonight, and uh, perhaps an accountability partner. Um, we'll talk a little bit about willpower later. Willpower is wonderful but it's not particularly effective in building habits because our willpower goes up and down. Our motivation goes up and down. And if we're trying to do you know, something five times a day, some days we're up for one of them, some days we're up for 10 of them, uh, many days we're up for none of them. Um, so how can we use the resources that we have in this very room uh, to support us in building our habit? Not to, to guilt us, but to have somebody there as a witness to our experience. So we're, we're creatures of habit, but hopefully we can be students of habit as well. Um, the last time, uh, we talked about the well-worn path. So, so many of our habits, particularly the bad habits, are the result of practice over time. Uh, I'm addicted to my phone. I forgot to tell you, I, I record this so that I can share it with you on the internet. When you ask a question, it just sounds like garbled, but it can hear me, so I'll of course delete any questions out, but you couldn't hear it anyway. I just wanna make sure you're okay with that. Um, so uh, we had this model, I brought the picture back. Are you ready? Okay. <laughs> Should we try to ask one of the new people to explain it to us? <laughs> All right, here it is. These are. You already gave us a I'm sorry? You already gave us a big hint. Yeah, yeah, um, okay. Um, here's the well-worn path. Uh, you can tell what's going on here, right? Oh, yeah? Okay. Um, the idea behind it uh, was this wonderful teaching story where there's a neuroscientist who grew up on a farm. He moved away from the farm. He came back to the farm. Well, when he was a kid, uh, they had a barn and they had cows. These are cows. 
Um, and they had a wonderful pasture, a wonderful field. And every morning they walked out to the pasture, and then at night they had to come back. Um, but there was a tree in the way, and a creek in the way, and rocks in the way, and bushes in the way. So the cows each night had to kind of make this long, winding path back to their home. Um, 20 years later, when the neuroscientists came back, uh, the trees were gone, and the creek had dried up, and the, the rocks were gone, and the, the bushes had been chopped down. Um, but the cows still found their way home every night, going all that winding path. And of course, it's a metaphor for the habits that we've built over time as well. In this context, I guess I'm thinking about them as bad habits. Um, but our habits live in our basal ganglia. It's kind of a primitive part of our brain. And so there's not a lot of sophistication to them. They're pretty much fight, flight, or freeze. So uh, as an example, like a, as a child who had an alcoholic parent, something like that, parent comes home, your job is probably to hide. Um, you want to avoid this person when they're drinking and upset. Um, so you've got this path to avoid that kind of conflict. And then you grow up, you move out of that house, but you still have that habit of hiding, perhaps. Um, I, I don't love to go to parties. I think I shared this example before. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the first person to leave. I'm always finding a, an excuse to hot, you know, run out or check out the pool or something like that. Um, and so much of it is based off this habit of not wanting to feel vulnerable. Um, and so our challenge is recarving these pathways in our mind for different habits or to release ourselves from those habits. So what I can do on my uh, path is I can go to a party and say, you know what, I'm going to bring my friend Jim. He's right there. He's the one who helps me out when there's an odd number of people and he's the extra partner. Um, I'm going to go with my friend Jim. I'm not going to leave until he's ready to leave. So I've carved a little bit of a different path. And halfway through that party, Jim made friends with Kim here, and they're talking, talking, talking. And I come up to Jim. I said, Jim, like, I'm good. Let's get out of here. So i got to get back to my path. But as we practice this over and over again, we widen these paths, and we make way for, for new opportunities. Um, this is neuroplasticity. This is the science of how our brain works, that we make these neural connections um, that uh, are essentially our habits, um, but we can re build different neural connections um, for relationship, for uh, nutrition, or for uh, fitness, how we use our electronics devices, and so on. So think about this model as we're um, uh, continuing tonight. So what we'll do is I'll, I'll um, talk for another couple of minutes, and then we'll jump into a mindfulness practice related to our bad habits, kind of a visualization. Um, we'll do that for eight or nine minutes. Um, and then have time to discuss with the person sitting next to us. And so again, sharing what you feel comfortable sharing. Uh, but I think you'll find uh, an empathy uh, develop as you recognize that many of the experiences that you have, uh, your partner shares as well. So um, we're going to do this practice called the three questions practice. Uh, and our topic tonight is reminders and accountability. Whenever we can put a space between that stimulus, that urge, that um, uh, trigger or cue, uh, and our action, we're more likely to use our kind of thinking brain in making the decision of what, else, what we'll do next, and less likely to use that habit brain that really has those pretty simple responses. 
Um, so I was taught this by a, a wonderful friend of, my, friend of mine uh, named Gretchen, uh, and it's the three questions. So the idea is that when you find yourself caught up, hopefully you'll remember to ask yourself these three questions. You get to go home with one of these cards, so hopefully that'll allow you to do so. Um, and the three questions are, what am I doing? And I've got these for you, but please write them down if you'd like. Uh, what am I doing? Is it right? What will I do next? So these questions are really mindful questions, curiosity questions. They're not really telling us what to do. What am I doing? So what's going on here? Is it right? What will I do next? The question is like how, it's not how will I make it right? It's what will I do next? So the example I often use is um, my son doesn't like doing the dishes. And it's his job to do the dishes. So I'll come home from a tough day of work and uh, you know we'll have dinner and dishes get to the sink and then nothing happens. So I find, do you have a 14-year-old as well? No, but you know. <laughs> um, Jack, do the dishes. What am I doing? Well, I'm telling Jack to do the dishes. Is it right? Yeah, it's his, his chore, his responsibility. What will I do next? Well, I'm going to wait a minute or so, and then I'm going to ask him to do it again. Minute passes. You can imagine nothing happens in our dishwasher. Um, Jack, it's time to do the dishes. What am I doing? I'm, Voice is raising a little bit. Is it right? Yes, it's fine. Like, this kid can handle it. What will I do next? Keep doing that. A minute later, Jack, do the dishes right now. And you can imagine how this cycle plays out that I could be yelling at the top of my lungs before long. And so the idea is that if we can ask ourselves this question every couple of minutes or while we're in that cycle, uh, we might choose a different path. So is it right? Well, now I'm just yelling. And I had a bad day, and I couldn't yell at my boss, so I'm taking it out on him. What will I do next? Am I really going to keep this up? Um, and so it's a nice little model. Nobody needs to know you're doing it because it's all happening uh, up here in your head. Uh, what I find is usually if I give him about 45 minutes, he will do the dishes on his own. So not foolproof, but something. There's not enough time, is there? Uh, my, 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 I am dedicated to getting you out of here at 8.15 in order to honor your time tonight. Um, so probably what we'll end up doing is the last five or 10 minutes will be time talking to your partner. So if you want to head out, you'll take five. If you want to stick around, when are we closing the library tonight? Nine o'clock, you're out of here. But we're going to finish by 8.15. <laughs> um, so a couple of things I wanted to share with you. Uh, like I said, I'm, I'm not the expert in habit building, but there's some wonderful resources out there. Charles Duhigg, uh, they have the book at the library here. I know that because I returned it just now. Um, but uh, one, of my, uh, one of the people that I read and follow is a gentleman named James Clear. Uh, he just came out with a book, or it's coming out uh, next week. Um, so I send you a link. Uh, so there's this habit loop that Duhigg had talked about, and he's kind of built on that. And the idea behind this habit loop that he talks about is that we always have a cue for our habit, some kind of uh, thing that uh, gets us started. So uh, I, I wake up in the morning, and that waking up reminds me that it's time for coffee. And there's my cue. And then it moves to a craving. That's the next part of our cycle, that I need this coffee in order to be 
awake and alert. I feel it, like even in my body. Um, same thing happens with my, my phone. You know, my phone buzzes. That's my cue. My craving is like, I wonder what it says. Like, I fear I'm missing out. Maybe it's something important. It's never important. Or maybe one out of a hundred times it's important. So we've got that craving. No wonder we do all these habits. Um, and then our next piece is the routine. So we've got some kind of routine around that habit that we do. I have to have my coffee by 8.15. And then some kind of reward. And that reward often causes us to associate this habit with something. So I associate uh, waking up with drinking coffee. Or I associate uh, even, you know, like we, we... we play with our phones even when it's not buzzing. Clearly, I have a phone problem. Sorry if you don't have phone <laughs> problems. But, you know, all of a sudden, even when it's not buzzing, we're checking our phone because it's associated with that craving and that cue that we talked about before. So I think it's an interesting model. Um, and it's so biological, so neuroscientific. Um, but the great news is that we can, we can kind of practice new habits by using the same model. So I actually, uh, I'm going to send you home with a sheet that uh, has a simple model on cue, craving, routine, and reward. Um, And so if we want to create a good habit, well, we got to make that cue obvious. We got to make it attractive, get some craving to that. Um, We got to make it pretty simple to do. And we got to make it satisfying when we we do it. So we got to get some positive benefit from that. Um, obviously, breaking the habit is the exact opposite of that. So we want to make the cue difficult to see or find, the craving unattractive, uh, the routine hard to do, and the reward not so, not so great. Um, so why don't you think about that as a model for how we can build those habits and to recognize what we're going against when we, um, when we uh, are trying to make a new one. So we need to give ourselves a job because we're meant to ruminate and think and judge and analyze. You know, we, we used to live in caves 20,000 years ago, and we had to be alert all the time to make sure tigers weren't going to eat us. But we got that system, almost like that rationalizing system to this day. Here's my, here's my motivation chart. I like this one too. I'm very excited about. So um, this is actually like kind of our ha- doing our habits. So say um, I want to do uh, I, I want to eat uh, less than 1,500 calories a day. I don't know if that's a good calorie number or not. Um, is that okay? Uh, we'll we'll say 1,500. So so here are my days. You know, 1,500, 1,500, 1,500, 1,500, 1,500, and so on. Um, and then this is going to be our motivation. What's our motivation going to look like? Oh boy, our motivation looks like this. Ouch. So it kind of tells me uh, two things. Uh, First of all, uh, our motivation isn't the greatest uh, uh, motivator uh, to make changes. Um, But also when we set goals, I'm going to make it a thousand. Let's make it a thousand calories. Ouch. It's pretty extreme. Um, When we make those goals, that end goal, it's even harder to, uh, to achieve that. I didn't draw this right. Well, you'll get the idea that, let's say, 
the initial goal was 1700 or 1800 or something like that, uh, we're more likely to be able to do that. So what I should have done was um, we always have some level of motivation, but some basic drops and so on. Um, so as long as we do, do things that meet our base level of motivation. So uh, a couple of things that work better than willpower. Um, reminders. We're giving our brain a little bit of break to remember those habits that we have to do. Um, so having physical reminders. And also um, flossing, you know, for example. Uh, what else do we do each morning? So, you know, attach our, or each night, attach our uh, flossing stick to our toothbrush or something like that um, allows us to remember without really having to use a whole lot of cognitive power. Um, the other thing uh, is uh, having a routine. So building a system that makes it more likely for us to do our habits as opposed to um, thinking about it as goals like that are all or nothing. Um, and then the last piece is relationship. So having people that are in on it. I have a friend who's writing a book and he has told everyone he knows that he's writing a book. Can you imagine? Um, so he better write that book because if he doesn't write the book, everyone's like, how's the book going? How's the book going? Um, so that can be tough. It's actually the toughest whenever I've taught this, a version of this class before. Um, uh, the accountability that we do of like checking in with somebody uh, is, is very vulnerable because part of the check-in is like, you know what? I didn't do it today. And our job as the witness, our job as the listener is to say, okay, cool. I did do it today. Okay, cool. You're not really there to, to give encouragement or advice or anything like that. You're just there to be that accountability so that somebody's listening, somebody's watching. Choosing reminders. Uh, so one of the things this sheet asks you to do, which you might have gone through or might not have, is what kind of things do you do each day without fail? What kind of routines do you already have that we might attach some of these habits we're working on to? And what kind of things happen to you each day? If you're driving in a car, you're stopping at stoplights. Uh, you know, I'm certain you've got a telephone that rings now and then, or you get a text. Um, so what kind of things happen day in and day out um, that you might be able to attach your habit to? So <clears throat> I, I'm going to have 16 accountability partners. <laughs> As I share the habits I'm planning to work with, I'd gotten out of the habit of exercising, so my plan is to work to exercise four times a week. Uh, Kim, Kim's both an athletic trainer and a personal trainer, so she might have a role in that. Um, uh, and so one of the ways that I'm going to do that exercising four times a week is I'm going to tie my bag that has my clothes, clothes in it to my work backpack each night so that it's going gonna, it's gonna to be my, I'm going to drag that around wherever I go, whether I exercise or not. Um, I'm also going to try to use my phone less, and part of that will be, once again, clothing related. I'm going to put my phone in my shoe at night so that I don't look at my phone until I put my shoes on when I leave the house. So that'll keep me from checking my phone right when I wake up. We'll see how that works. So trying to tie those things that I already do um, to my habits. Um, so keep these habits simple, at least at first. Keep them small. Um, and keep them specific. You know, that four times a day exercise. Um, no phone until I leave the house um, is a really way 
a really good way for us to measure our habits. Because when we measure our habits, our habits change. Gosh, we did a lot tonight. <laughs> I want to give you a couple more minutes with your partner. Um, and I have a, a little bit of a proposal for you. Um, I have a calendar here. Um, and uh, I have some stickers for you. So you and your partner might look at this and identify one, uh, this, in this case it's called one observance, and one restraint. Um, this comes from my guiding teacher, Jonathan Faust, by way of James Clear, who we talked about earlier. And the idea is you've got the one thing you're going to do and the one thing you're not going to do. And each day, you take one of these stickers over here and you place that on that date if you do that activity. Now, I got different color stickers, so it might be that. Um, if you do your habit, you put a purple sticker there. And if you don't do your habit, you give yourself a little self-compassion and you give yourself a blue sticker to remind yourself that you gave yourself some self-compassion. So you get to decide how that works. You could put a big red X, you could draw a heart, you can use a sticker, it's up to you. But at the bottom, I also have your partner's name and some way to contact your partner um, and some kind of uh, support plan you might wanna build for each other. Maybe we'll uh, send each other a text every other day to say, you know, I did my habit this week, or I'm on track to doing my habit because I realize some of these aren't daily. Um, but as you do that, um, kind of respecting the confidentiality of each other, of course. But really, your your task is to be a listening ear more than an, an advice giver. <laughs>